Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed, so enjoy this message. Good morning, Freedom House. Y'all look beautiful. Look at your neighbor. Just look at him. Say, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Look at your second choice. Tell them what size shirt you wear so you can get something. Tell them you, you, I wear a Smedium or a Marge, whatever works for you. Um, I wear a Marge, by the way, if you want to get me something. How many of y'all finished your shopping? Raise your hand if you finished your shopping. How many of y'all are going right after church today? Raise your hand if you're going right after church. Okay. Don't back us all up trying to get out of here. All right. We want to get home, enjoy the football game, even though the Carolina Panthers are not going to be in any type of playoffs or anything like that. We still want to enjoy a little time. I left uh, last Saturday night. I left church. I wanted to go get a clean juice. I just wanted to get a smoothie. And y'all are so, so much traffic. Have y'all not discovered Amazon Prime yet? I mean, come on, somebody. Well, I'm excited about Christmas. I know you are, too. We also want to welcome all of our live streamers. Can we give it up for all the people that are watching from all over the world? <clears throat> New York, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, India. Uh, we want to just welcome you. And don't forget, if you're traveling over the holidays, you can also join us online. All of our services will be streamed our 2, 4, and 6 p.m., at our Christmas Eve. Uh, a couple friends of ours went out uh, on Friday night to dinner. And I just, this is a, a great point uh, of inviting people. Be a bringer when it comes to Christmas Eve. You, you, have, you have power in your hands to invite somebody to church. And so we were talking to the waitress who was waiting on us. And uh, we were like, hey, are you from the area? Uh, how long have you been here? She said, I just moved here six months ago. And we said, hey, why don't you come to church on Christmas Eve? And she says, I would love to come to church on Christmas Eve. And so we gave everyone a little card, invited her to come. And she goes, you know, I've been here for six months and nobody's invited me to church. You know, there's over 800 churches in Charlotte and not one person had invited her to church. Well, she's going to be coming to Freedom House on, on uh, Christmas Eve. Her name's Nicole. And <clears throat> you know, the great thing about uh, Christmas Eve and in these big events is I give you permission, okay, because there will be an altar call at the end of the service. And so if you invite somebody, I give you permission to leave one eye open and watch if they raise their hand. Last week, uh, I, was, uh, I think I was in, at Lake Norman or, or South End preaching, and one of my friends had bought one of their neighbors to church. And at the end of the message, you know, close your eyes, give your heart to Jesus. You know, because sometimes it's hard. I know, I know when I became a Christian early on in my, my Christianity, I, I didn't really feel comfortable sharing the gospel with people. I didn't know that I could do it. I didn't feel comfortable. I felt a little awkward sharing my story. But I knew that if I could just get them into an environment where Jesus would be presented to them, that their lives would be changed. And my pastor said the same thing. Hey, keep one eye open so you can watch if they give their heart to Jesus. And so my friend Doug at, at the Lake, Nor I think Lake Norman campus, their friends were there. I said, put your hand on your heart if you want to give your heart to Jesus. And the wife put her hand on her, his heart, her heart and gave her life to God right there on the spot. He had one eye open. You know, he's watching. He was so excited. Isn't that great? Come on, give Jesus a big hand clap for that. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, we are in a series called White Elephant. And we're talking about the gifts that we get in life that we really don't want. 
um, white elephant gift exchange is when you go to a party. I know some of you have been. I, I went to one recently where you could tra- exchange gifts, give gifts away. Maybe you get a gag gift. Some people call it Dirty Santa. Um, you, you probably participate. You get something you don't want. Well, in life, sometimes you just don't get what you want. And one of the unique environments that I find myself in as a pastor is I find myself in environments where I am helping other leaders kind of deal with temptation. Now, I sit in a different seat uh, in, in respect to if I do my job really good as a pastor, I show up on time, you know, actually make it to church on Sundays, uh, I do a good job. I could still lose my job if I don't hold to a certain standard morally. Now, in our church today, in in the church, the Big C Church, there's not a lot of talk about sin. People don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about temptation. All they want to talk about is the grace of God. Almost to a point where we have given the church a license to live however they want to live. And what has happened is we have created a a lower standard in the church. Well, today I want to talk about raising the standard in your life. How many know you're supposed to be different than the world? You can live in the world, but you're not supposed to be of the world. You need to be different. People need to see a different marriage. People need to see a different family. Now, you have an enemy that wants to destroy you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. He doesn't want your house. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your family. What he wants is your character. Because without your character, you lose your influence. And when we want to change the world, what we need to make sure that we have and carry is our influence. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you live on. It doesn't matter what, uh, what color your skin is. That has nothing to do with it in regards to your influence. You can have influence as you follow God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 4. Open your iPads, open your iPhones, open your your pixels, open your whatevers, open your eyelids. No sleeping allowed today. Look at the screen. Look at my big TV behind me and uh, write some things down. I'm going to give you some some help because there's one thing that we all are going to have to overcome and that's temptation. Sometimes we are given the gift, not from God, but from the enemy of temptation. Look at Genesis chapter 4. A really interesting passage, beginning in verse 3, it says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Everybody say, an an offering. Okay, now everybody's got to participate, front to the back, even you guys sitting way in the back, all right? Everybody say, an offering. If you participate, you remember more and I finish quicker. Okay, everybody say, an offering. offering. I knew you'd get loud then. You want to go shopping. Brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now Cain brought an offering, right? Notice what Abel brought. He says, Abel also brought of the firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. Firstborn. Okay, so Cain brought an offering. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now why? Why is it that God respected Abel's? But did not respect Cain's. Because Abel brought of the first. And we talked about this last week. It's very important to understand that when, when God, ex- what God expects from you, he never takes leftovers. He always expects the best, which is our first. So 
He didn't respect it. Now, that didn't mean that he wouldn't accept it in the future from Cain because Cain had an opportunity to change. Notice what happens next. And then Cain got very angry and his countenance fell. And, and he posted some bad things about God on Facebook and, and said some nasty things, DM'd him and all that good stuff. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fell? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Will, will you not be accepted? Will this change in your life? If you do not do well, now I want to focus right on this part. He says, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But, everybody shout but. but. That's a big old but right there. But you should rule over it. Notice that the Bible says, I want you to keep this verse up there. It says, sin lies at the door. Let me teach you something about temptation. Temptation will always come when you are entering something new or exiting something old. Whenever you read in the Bible where it talks about a door, it's talking about you entering a new season in your life. You're going to face the greatest temptations in your life when you are starting something new. When you are experiencing something new. When you are experiencing a miracle, a miracle in your life. Or you are exiting something old. Now, in the Mesopotamian culture, the writers of Genesis, they understood that, that this sin lies at the door was referencing a specific demon that would lurk around doors. And the word lies at means like a, like a lion or, or uh, uh, some type of a, uh, an animal that's wanting to pounce on you, waiting for you to cross the threshold. Now, who controls the door? You do. You control your ability to walk through that door or not. You control the ability to succumb to temptation or not. Because God says, listen to what he says. He says, but you should rule over it. Meaning, this is pre-Jesus. This is pre-the blood of Jesus. This is pre-resurrection. That even in the Old Testament, God, even in the family of Adam and Eve, because Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's kids. Now, here's, a good, here's the thing. This is so good. Listen, you think your family's not doing good. Cain and Abel, one of them killed the other. Okay, I know that's not happening in your family. So I know, I know your, your, your kids are yelling at each other. They probably got in a fight on the way to church. But they're not killing each other. So, so Adam and Eve are, 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 are struggling in their family. They're challenged in their family. Cain and Abel get in this fight. They end up, he ends up destroying half of his family. However, you can rule over that temptation. So I want to give you a couple thoughts in regards to temptation. Number one, if you want to write this down, is temptation does not discriminate. It does not discriminate. <clears throat> when, I was a young, when I was younger, like 10, 11, 12, and when me and Randy used to ride our bikes together, and I used to make fun of his girl bike. <clears throat> no. Um, we, I used to go from Richmond to North Carolina. My grandmother on my mother's side uh, had a place in North Carolina. And so we would spend a lot of time in North Carolina. I would go by myself. I, she put, my mom would put me on a bus, and I would ride the bus from Richmond, Virginia, to Edenton, North Carolina, if you know where that is. It's on the east coast of North Carolina. And I would spend the summer there. And one of the things we used to do that was what, what I call redneck entertainment, greatest redneck entertainment in the world. How many rednecks do I have? Raise your hand if you're a redneck. Nobody wants to raise their hand if they're red. I got one on the front row. Come on, raise your hand if you're a redneck. 
I know, I know, I know. Randy, you're a redneck. Raise your hand. Aaron, you're a redneck. Raise your hand. Don't be kidding. And Jenny, you're a redneck. Raise your hand. All of y'all are rednecks. I know I'm a redneck. I'm about 40% redneck. My wife is about 85% redneck. How do you know you're a redneck? You listen to country music. That's your, you know you're a redneck. Um, and if you stick your feet out the window when you drive or ride in the passenger, you can't do it when you're driving, but when you're riding in the passenger seat. So my wife sticks her feet up. She's a redneck. She denies it, but she's a redneck. Greatest redneck entertainment. If, you, if you're a redneck, you know what I'm talking about. Bug zapper. And some of y'all don't know what a bug zapper is because y'all grew up in the city. You don't, know, you don't know what bug zappers are. Bug zappers, great redneck entertainment. You can spend hours watching bugs fly into a bug zapper and get killed. Psst. Amazing entertainment. If there's no bugs around, you go get bugs. You throw them into the bug zapper. Amazing. I mean, the bigger the bug, bigger the zap, bigger the entertainment. Can't afford fireworks? Buy a bug zapper. It's fantastic. You know, bug zappers have a unique way of attracting bugs. The reason why they attract bugs to them is because they emit a light that is very similar to the flower that attracts bugs. And this is exactly what sin does. Sin emits a light that overpromises and underdelivers every time. Temptation tries to convince you that there's something better than God's way. Now, let, let me explain something to you about, the God, about God and the devil. The opposite of God is not the devil. Okay, there is no opposite of God. He has no opposite. The devil is a created being. In other words, he cannot, he cannot create anything. So all he does is counterfeit what God has. That's all he can do. So he'll take what God has and then he'll create a counterfeit of it. For example, God has love. The devil has lust. God has wealth. The devil has greed. So, so he'll take anything that God has because he can't create and he will twist it. So sin promises something but will never deliver it to you. So the, in the temptation is this desire that something's better than God can give me. So here's what happens. Lingering look. Couple emotional texts. Next thing you know, you're planning that business meeting. You and somebody that's not you're not married to, you end up in a hotel room, and then zap, you get stung by sin. Just, just one little drink once a week turns into two or three drinks at night because you can't go to sleep because of stress and worry. Becomes a bottle of wine, becomes two bottles of wine. And next thing you know, every single day, you're drinking, not at, in the evening, but lunchtime. And before lunch, and 9 o'clock comes, and now you start, and then zap, you get whacked by the enemy, pulling you in. See, it's those little seeds of thought that can cause us to get in a position where we entertain sin. Now, now listen, temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. And you are not your temptation. So, in other words, you got to make sure you understand that, that you are not your temptation. So that means that if you are tempted, everybody look around at everybody. Because every person in this room, no matter how spiritual you are, you have been tempted. No matter how good you can pray, no matter how many life groups you've led, whether you pastored a church, 
No matter how much money you give, doesn't matter how good you are, how cute you are, you're going to be tempted. I get tempted, you get tempted, but you can overcome it. It doesn't discriminate. Here's what the Bible says in Song of Solomon chapter 2. It says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. From our, for our vines have tender grapes. We've got this great fruit that God wants to get out of us. And if we allow the little things, those little whispers from the enemy to creep into our life, we can execute sin. We can find ourselves on the other side of obedience. Number two, temptation is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. God tests us and the devil tempts us. God does test you. How do you know what the difference is? How do you know what the difference between a test and temptation is? A test will involve your faith. A test is in response to the word of God. You will always be tested when God gives you a word. So here, here's what happens. God gives you a word. You're going to get a promotion. You, you've got a, this, this dream that's on the inside of you. And so what God does is he will test your faith so that when you occupy that dream, you can stay there. So whenever, this is, this is what happens when you go to church on a weekend and you get a word, you get really excited, man. Woo, this is good stuff. Come on, Jesus. Come on. I'm excited. I'm fired up. Worship was awesome. I got a word from God. 2020 is going to be the best year I've ever had in my life. Guess what's going to happen next? Get ready. God's going to test your faith. Why is that? Because he wants your faith, the power of your faith, the strength of your faith to be equal with the word that he gave you. And so he tests you. Now, God does not tempt you. The devil tempts you. Testing involves our faith. Tempting involves your flesh. It deals with our outer, the desires that God put in there that the devil uses the twist. Here's the progression in James chapter 1. Look at this, James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away. Drawn away from who? God. So temptation will always draw you away from God. It'll pull you into a position of condemnation. It'll pull you into a position of guilt or shame. God's test will never put shame, guilt, or condemnation on you. Temptation will always make you feel that way. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, his own desires. So I got these desires that God put inside of me. We all have desires. The enemy knows those desires, so he twists those desires and uses those desires to entice us, to pull us away from God. Then, when desire has conceived, okay, so that desire has an embryo, conceives, it gives birth to sin. That's the execution. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is something we all deal with in our head. In our minds, in our, in our thought life, we deal with it. See, this is where you can't say, you can't, none of us can say, I'm going to mess you up right here. You can't say, say, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He presented the idea, and then you did it. Let me say that again. He presented the idea, and he said, this is going to be better than God's way. You can get it quicker. It'll make you feel better. So here, here, I'm going to present this idea to you. When, when sin gives birth, it, 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 and then when it's full grown, it brings forth 
death. Spiritual death, which basically means disconnection from God. So what does temptation do? It, it preys on the real you. Or better yet, the you you haven't dealt with yet. So these unmet desires that the devil knows you have, that you haven't resolved with God. Now, this is the heart of what temptation is. And this is the only way that we can be pulled away. Because remember, Genesis chapter 4, you should rule over it. You have power. Not to mention, now we have the blood of Jesus. We have the power of God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dead lives on the inside of each one of us. So now, not only does God promise us in the Old Testament, but New Testament, that's the Holy Spirit can lead us in the right direction. So, if you haven't resolved those desires with God, let me, let me give you an example. Okay, I'm going to just use Jesus as an example because Jesus was tempted. The Bible tells us, and we're just going to read it in just a couple of minutes, that he was tempted in everything. So he could be our high priest, so he could be our example. And you remember, remember in, in the beginning when Jesus came on the scene? You know, we don't know a whole lot about him until he was about 12 years old. And then he, he gets, his parents lose him. And then fast forward, he's 30 years old, he shows up on the scene, and John the Baptist baptizes him. And then right after he's baptized, what happens to him? The Bible says the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Now, he's 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He doesn't eat, he's fasting. The Holy Spirit leads him. If I'm the devil, I'm not going to tempt him in the wilderness. There's nothing out there. Nothing. So every temptation that is presented to Jesus is all in his head. Okay, because he says to him something really powerful. And he's praying on something that he thinks Jesus is insecure about. Now, Jesus is not insecure. Are you following me? Okay, watch what happens here. If you remember the temptation, you can read it, Matthew chapter 4. I'll just summarize it, paraphrase it for you. The devil comes to Jesus, and he says to him, what does he say? If you are the Son of God. He's trying to deal with, 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 with Jesus. He's basically saying, listen, Jesus, you may have some insecurity about who you, who you are. Because you were born just like everybody else. Because you were raised just like everybody else. Because you were dealt with just like everybody else. So the devil tries to get Jesus to question whether he's really God's son or not. And what ends up happening is, is, is the what, what does Jesus come back with? It is written. It is written. It is written. Now, he was the word made flesh. So he was actually speaking from his security of himself. Are you all following what I'm talking about right here? This, this gives you a, a great, this is, this is a great answer to temptation. Your greatest answer to temptation, it is written. It is written. It is written. You fight with the sword of the spirit. You fight with the word of God. And you face that temptation with the word of God. Now why? Why did he do this? Why did the devil do this? Well, go back. Go back and see why. In Matthew chapter 3, when, when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, what happens when he comes up out of the water? You remember what he says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17? It says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
So the devil went right after the security that he had. And God knew he was going to tempt him in that way. So this is extremely important to understand. Hebrews 4.15 says this. Our high priest is not one who cannot feel sympathy for our weaknesses. Just talking about Jesus. On the contrary, we have a high priest who was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. Which means that you and I can always lean on Jesus. We can always come back to Christ, who has overcome every temptation. Everybody look at me for a second. Don't ever allow your desires to be found in someone or something. Okay, Your desires should be found in God. Point your desires toward God. Point your, point your direction towards God. The reason why we succumb to temptation is because we're trying to fulfill a desire that God was always meant to fulfill for us. Are you following what I'm talking about? Number three, temptation can be overcome. I can overcome temptation. God will never let it be too much. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Let me just get a sip of water. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. No temptation. Everybody say, no temptation. No. Now, this is important because God lets us know that he will never allow a temptation to be different than other people's. So, in other words, what he's saying is, you will never face something that someone else has not overcome. And you will never face something that you can't overcome. So God puts boundaries around the enemy. It says, no temptation is overtaking you, such as except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But, this is powerful, with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's why I love, even within the temptation, God will use it for a way to you to, for you to get out of it, which is pretty amazing. So, how do I do this? How do I overcome temptation? Well, it starts with the root. Overcoming temptation starts with the root. Now, listen to me very clearly. It's not about choosing what's right and what's wrong. That's not what it's about. Overcoming temptation is not about choosing what's right and what's wrong. What it is about, it's, it's about dealing with the root. In other words, it's getting down to what I value. What is worth to me? Now, I've said this before, but I want you to write this down. Values determine choices, and choices determine results. Values determine choices, and choices determine results. If you aren't happy with the results, then go back to what you value. If you're not happy with the fruit in your life, don't try to change your behavior. Deal with your beliefs. If your kids are acting out, if you got kids and they're just going nuts and you want to sell them, okay, don't, don't, don't correct the behavior. Find out why they are behaving that way. There is a belief in them that's causing them to go a certain way. It's the same with us. So how do I know what I value? Okay, this is key. How do I know what I value? Whatever I spend time in or money on. That's how you know what you value. 
Some people say, well, I value God. Well, do you spend time with God? Well, I go to church once a month. You don't value God. You might say you do, but you don't. Because time is wherever you invest that time. All I got to do is look at your checkbook and I can see what you value. By what you pay, what you spend money on. You say, I value my kids. You know how, you know how your kids spell love? T-I-M-E. Yeah, but I'm, I'm working hard to provide for them. They don't see that. That's not important to them. They want you. They want you to be present. They want you to be in their face. Even if, even teenagers, even if they don't talk to you, they like you to be around. It's true. I used to take my daughter to school every day. Most of my kids, I drove them to school. But my youngest daughter, she would never talk to me. Oh, my gosh, she was just like, oh, just drinking her coffee. You know what she says to me now? You know, I miss those days when you used to take me to school. I miss those times you used to take me to school. Because she knew that I was going to be there every single morning to drive her to school. It was her daddy time. We didn't talk probably four out of the five days. She didn't say anything other than, I hate NPR. Turn that news off. I don't want to hear it, Dad. My son listens to it now because I listened to it when, I was a kid, when he was a kid. Every time we would go, we would go. I spent time with them. So here's the deal. Whatever I value, I'm going to put time and I'm going to put money into it. Whatever I value. So if you value your marriage, guess what? You're going to put time. You're going to put energy. You're going to put money into it. So if I value my marriage, then other women really aren't an option for me. I'm not, I'm not going to be attracted to other women because I'm investing all my time and energy in the one I love. And even if I don't feel like I love her all the time, I just like her a little bit. Come on, because it's hard when you've been married. I've been married 27 years. It's hard. Sometimes she gets on my nerves, and I know sometimes I get on her nerves. But I committed to her. That's why I talk about her all the time. That's, I talk about her all the time because I don't want anybody to think that I'm available. I have pictures of her in my office. I mean, I'm just letting you know, I'm not available. I am taken. Now, <clears throat> so it's easy for me to push away temptation in that area. Because I'm committed in my marriage. Some of you are putting all kinds of stuff out there. Letting everybody know, well, I might not be taken. I'm sort of available if you say the right thing. No, no, no. If you're married, you're not available. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, if you're single, whole different ballgame now. We're talking about a whole different ball. You better put that thing out there like you're available. Just make sure you're available to the right one. If I value purity, then lust will be easier to overcome. Because I'm putting time and energy and staying pure. Are you following what I'm talking about here? Values determine choices. Choices determine results. If I value honesty, then lying will be much easier to overcome. If I value humility, then whenever the opportunity to be prideful makes its way into my life, then I'm going to immediately walk away from it. If I value contentment, then, then instant gratification will be much easier to walk away from. 
I won't use credit cards because I value being content. So what I did a long time ago in regards to my life because of the standard I want to live, I made a list of all the things that I would lose if I executed on the temptation. I made a list. It's in my notes. Whenever I'm tempted, I'll pull that list up. I'll lose my family. I'll lose my kids. I'll lose my church. I'll lose this. I'll lose this opportunity. I'll lose this influence. And I read down it. It's quick. You, you could say no to some temptation when you realize all the stuff you're about to lose. Some of you need to make a list of all the things you might lose today. If you do something jacked up. Are you following? And every time you say no to temptation, it becomes easier to say no the next time. Opposite's true too. Every time you say yes to temptation, it becomes easier to say yes to it. Because then you start to create this environment in your life where you think you deserve it. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Number two, uh, overcoming temptation, it's, it's a multiplayer game. Look at your neighbor say, we're better together. I'm most tempted, and I'm almost done, when I am alone, when I isolate myself. Now, how many of you know you're going to be alone in a crowd? It's easy. It's easy to be alone in a crowd. You can come to church in a church like this, this size of a church, and still isolate yourself. That's why we talk about all this stuff all the time and create environments for you to get involved in. We want you to be in a life group. We want you to serve. Why? Because we want you to have an army to face the temptations that you're going to deal with. You need some other people. One of my favorite movies is the movie Blindside with Sandra Bullock. You remember that movie? And she, she kind of adopted this guy named Michael Orr who was, uh, he was a great football player. True story. He was the, a left tackle. Now what a left tackle's job is is to protect the quarterback. Because the quarterback has to back up in coverage when he's getting ready to pass. And his back is to this side of the field. And so the left tackle's job is to protect the blind side of the quarterback. We all have a blind spot. You have a blind spot. I have a blind spot. And we need a left tackle to protect us. Let me ask you a question today. At Freedom House Church, December 22nd, who's your left tackle? Who in your life have you given permission to protect you in your blind spot? Because we all got one. Now you say, oh, I'm married to her, I'm married to him. Yeah, that, that's okay. But let's be honest. We typically don't listen to our spouse the first time. <laughs> Remember, we're honest in church, y'all. My wife tells me all the time, I told you that six times. And, and then Aaron came up and said it once, and you listen. <laughs> it's true. Nothing wrong with having... A spouse as a left tackle, but let me just put forth to you that you need to have somebody else too. And it's somebody that you invite to that position. It's somebody that you engage in that position and you tell them and you give them permission to ask you the hard questions. And look at me, you'll listen to them. They can tell you no and you'll listen. Because typically, if we haven't given that person permission, we're going to go around and ask people until we find a yes. Until we find somebody who agrees with our opinion. And that's not how it works, y'all. That's not the definition of sound counsel. 
If we trust someone in our life, then we invite them in. So we all need a left tackle. And when you have a left tackle, you have to be vulnerable to them. You have to be open to them. You have to be accountable to them. You have to share your weaknesses with them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said to me, this is is Jesus talking to Paul after he had confessed, look, I I, I got this problem. I, I came to you three different times, and you will not remove it from my life. And God says back to him, Jesus says back to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to brag on my weaknesses. Now that is not the world we live in. Bragging about your weaknesses is not the world we live in. But that is the kingdom philosophy. Why? Why? Because your weaknesses are a welcome mat for God's grace. And can I, just, can I just tell you something? You need God's grace. And God's grace is much more than just his unmerited favor. No, God's grace is his ability in our lives to overcome sin. It's the power of God for you to walk away from sin. Why? Because God loves you. And he cares for you. So how do I overcome temptation? Here's the last one. Is I overcome temptation by falling madly in love with Jesus. Temptation is not a test of self-control or self-discipline. Because you'll fail in the end. We just don't have enough willpower to overcome it. Over And some of us, some of us, if we're honest, some of us are facing addictions we've had for years and years and years. And here's what you say. Every time it happens, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. And guess what happens? You do it again. You do it again. And you do it again. Why? Because you can't overcome it by yourself. And so, it's a test of relationship. John 14, 15 says this. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I should put that verse on the screen for me. If you love me, keep my commandments. When you look at that verse, it's very easy to look at it and look at it through the eyes of merit, performance. That Jesus is saying to me, well, I, I, I demonstrate my love. Keep that verse up there for me. I demonstrate that my love by keeping your commandments. And that's not what he's saying. Really, if you look at it, there's a comma right in the middle of it. And the question you have to ask yourself is, what side of the comma do you live on? Because religion is all about commandments. Christianity is all about love. Religion is all about do, do, do. Christianity is about done. That he accomplished it for you. That Jesus loves you. And because he loves me, I can keep his commandments. It's the power of his love residing on the inside of me that I'm able to say I want to be holy like your holy God. Listen to me. You'll never be perfect. 
You're never going to be perfect. The Bible says we're all sinners saved by grace. But it's by grace that we're saved. And we all need more of His grace. So I couldn't think of a better way to close off this year, this, this message series, than, than for us just to start 2020 with a clean slate and be able to walk into the new year with the ability to say no to things that have held us captive. For, for some of us, a lot of our Christian life. So I want you to stand up on your feet if you can. And I want you to experience the love of Christ that's in this room right now. Would you just close your eyes just for a minute? And just bow your head. If you feel comfortable, just lift your hands up to heaven. We're going to take just a, just a couple minutes here and just worship. Because worship is the way in which we reset ourselves in relationship with God. It's, it's how we reposition ourselves in the heart of the Father. And you can do it today. All you have to do is just say, yes, Jesus, I welcome you in my life. Yes, Jesus, I welcome you in my heart. Yes, Jesus, I put away the old life and I pick up a new life. Yes, Jesus, I want to fall madly, madly, madly in love with you. Because you're wonderful, God. Because you're beautiful, God. Because you're powerful, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. I love you, Christ. I love you, Jesus. I can't overcome the, these, these questions. I can't overcome this stuff in my own strength. I need your love. I need your grace. And the only way I receive it, God, is in relationship. I worship you today. Come on, just begin to worship him. Close your eyes. Get alone with Jesus. And just begin to sing out to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, sing out to him. say this with me say heavenly father thank you for the power that's in the name of jesus thank you that the same spirit 
that raised Jesus from the dead resides in me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give me the strength to say no to the enemy, to say no to temptation. I will live by the grace of God. I will live under the power of God. Today, I receive the strength of Jesus Christ to overcome any temptation. I declare that this next year will be a year of strength and overcoming in Jesus' name. Now, come on, give Jesus a big shout today. Come on, he's worthy.